I didn't know how God would want me to proceed. When you pray, God will put things on your heart. As a pastor, sometimes sermons are written on napkins, gum wrappers, iPhone notes, and all these things, and then it comes together. But I wanted to share with you what God has placed on my heart. I've been digging into Philippians, chapter 3 of Philippians. I'm going to be speaking from that today, but here we are at a brand new year. I can't believe it. I don't know what happened. I'm still processing last year and thinking that I'm somewhere around October, but yet here we are. Paul, when he writes in Philippians, there are a couple things that I get from this chapter three. Number one, Paul is saying, I have not yet arrived. Speaks to my heart. He hasn't arrived yet. That's something that when we're in church, we can nod our head in agreement. We can say, yeah, yeah. But here's the truth. By human standards, you are probably doing better than someone else. There are 7.837 billion people on this planet. Chances are you're doing better than one of them. It, it's true, but that's by human standards. Today I want to be speaking out of Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7, going through around 11. Prior to these verses, Paul has laid out kind of his qualifications. At eight days old, he was marked. He's part of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew among Hebrews. Concerning the law, he is a Pharisee. The word Pharisee meaning a separated one. So even among those who, who knew the law, he was up there. Concerning the zeal that he had, he persecuted the church because he thought he was doing that for God. Concerning righteousness and when it came to the law, he said he was blameless. This is wild that you would hear this because by human standards, this was the man. This was the guy. But if that's all there was, simply striving for human perfection and just trying to check off boxes, we wouldn't have a need for a savior. We wouldn't have a need for a gospel. And so that first point, I have not yet arrived, is followed up by a second one. And him saying there is a God standard. So beyond all the human standards that there are, there is a God standard, an Isaiah 59, 19 standard. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and put him to flight. That God standard, it's not an alternate standard, but it's an absolute truth. I can go through this walk and at times I can almost believe that this omnipotent God is privileged to walk with me. I can live that way. Or there are times that God will bring me to that place where I remember more than anything that I was a lost sinner and that he rescued me because he loved me for no other reason, but he loved me. Paul says in verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted 
as loss for Christ. Now notice, Paul does not demonize accomplishment. He doesn't. He simply says, this is my view of the things that I have accomplished. He doesn't throw shade at the accomplishment of others. If you are in here and you have not used that term and you're an older person, you need to use it today because it will make you sound young and trendy in what you do. When it comes to the church family, this church family lives and breathes outside of the walls of this church. In offices, in factories, in hospitals, in various trades, some of you walk in great accomplishment and success. But what I love is what Paul does here. Even in the wording, you pick up on these small things. In the original Greek, when Paul says all of his accomplishments, that is plural, and he makes sure to say it as a plural, but he says, I count it as a loss. In other words, all of the things that I can accomplish, and there are many, many of them, when it comes down to my view of how it measures up to Jesus, it's a loss. I love that. No one likes to lose. No one likes to lose. When I was studying, I was reminded of something. Bethany Davis. Bethany, if you're here, I'm sorry, but if you've ever been a part of my youth group or church, you are fair game for me to mention in a sermon. When she attended MHCA, she liked to play ping pong with me. And Bethany loves me. She loved me then and she appreciates me. But when she stood on the other side of that table, I was her mortal enemy and she would defeat me. See, she wanted the victory. And there were times when I would get a little scared and she'd float one up there and I'd have to send it back at about 60 miles an hour, but she wouldn't flinch. She wanted to win. And I just think in the same way when it comes to Paul, I'm in this to win. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Jesus. Before that Damascus Road experience, Paul placed a different value on accomplishment and on earthly things. But once you experience Jesus, every single thing changes. Every single thing. And the truth is, if I can't carry it into eternity with me, I consider it a loss. Going into 2023, let our heart cry be, give me Jesus. As we often say, know your why. If you're around me, if you're part of the leadership team, know your why. Verse 8 says this, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, to know Jesus more. This is what Paul's about, the excellence of the knowledge of him. This is what I want, to have a deeper personal relationship with him above all else. But see, you need to understand something. There is a cost. I think it's important to say that because so many people have this view of what it means to follow Jesus. A human standard view. I think of this when I was younger. I had a neighbor who came with me to church on a Sunday night. Gave his heart to Jesus. Right here at this altar. And as a response to that, my mother took him and a few of our friends to Longo's after church to celebrate. Because nothing seals salvation like a Longo's pizza with sausage and pepperoni, I guess. 
But see, when Paul had his conversion, it wasn't like that. There was no Longo's pizza for him. In fact, he goes on in verse 8 to say, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. All. He lost everything because he chose Jesus. Yet, he didn't turn his back on Jesus. The human standard here needs to remind me for a moment that I don't own eternity. I don't own tomorrow. As a pastor, there are times that it breaks my heart when I talk to people who once walked with Jesus and who walked away from that because, in a sense, he didn't conform to their human standard of how things should play out in their God story. It's heartbreaking. But here you have a man who by, when you read descriptions historically, walked bent over because he had been beaten so many times, whose body had so many scars from just following Jesus, that it puts it into perspective for me. That when I hear someone say, if I have to lose everything to have Jesus, that it's possible to say that same thing, regardless of how hard it may be sometimes. Give me Jesus. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost, he says. He goes on to say, I count it as rubbish. When you look at the meaning of those words, there's two meanings that come up. One would be scraps, which would be thrown to dogs in the street. The second one would be dung. I'll stick with the first one. Either way, he says, if it's not about Jesus, this is all that it amounts to. Now, that's strong language, but he's just hitting it black and white right here. Here's the truth. It's entirely possible to trade the black and white of God's word for a walk that's in the gray. He didn't make the gray. We're the ones trying to make the gray because the gray is comfortable for me. The gray doesn't cost me anything. The gray means I can be relatively better than I was before. The gray means a man's standard. See, as a pastor, I can speak it on a Sunday. I can amen it when other people speak it. But your walk tells the truth. Your walk doesn't lie. It preaches words that no sermon ever will. There is a go in evangelism. This is true. But there's a certain amount of stay close when it comes to discipleship. I mean that because we often say that consistency is key. Let me be real with you for a moment what I mean by that. In the church family that you are a part of, there are people who have not been walking with Jesus Christ for very long, new to their faith. And so when we as a church come together and we amen at the commitment level it takes to be a Christ follower, but then they don't see us, but maybe once a month, it confuses them. I'm just being real. And what it's saying to them is, you say you're an oak of righteousness, but you appear to be a topiary, which is portable. Put down roots. Put down roots. When you put down roots, it preaches. So Paul does something. He takes count. 
I almost think of it in a way like a balance scale. And what Paul does is he takes everything that he knows about the world and he puts it on one side. He takes everything he knows about Jesus and he places it on the other side. And he proves once again to his heart that Jesus wins. No, he doesn't do it because he doubts. He does it because we, as people who walk with Jesus, need to do this. We need to take that scale out and put all the things we know about Jesus and all the things, take all the molly grub, take everything that's standing against you and put on the other side and put Jesus on the other and see which one tips. And it's going to be Jesus every time. Prove it to your heart. See what that is? That's walking worship. That's living worship. You live your witness. You live it. We've joked before that my kids, they have this sense about them that when anything that they have owned over the past 10 years is placed in the garbage, that they will sense that it's there and they'll go get it out. And Dina thinks she's sneaky, but then my kids will come in wearing a Burger King crown, vintage, with rotten lettuce hanging off of it, and we know where they've been. What's important to you, you carry. We went to Disney a few years ago when my son was younger. And there was an experience where you could have a lightsaber fight with Darth Vader. And reluctantly, I allowed my son to take this ticket and to fight with Darth Vader. And as he gets up there, it's time to face this dark Sith Lord to fight him. Everything stops. And the lady's like, what's going on? What? And my son is holding something. He's holding a sock monkey that he was wearing around his neck that it was very important for him to show Darth Vader this in this like battle moment. And no one knew what to do. But we had it on video. But it was important to him. That sock monkey was his thing. And he didn't care who was around. I'm showing you. I'm carrying it. That's how I want my testimony to be. How we live will say, I consider it all a loss except for. In order to grow as believers, we need to have the courage to ask God, which things am I holding back for myself and not considering a loss for your sake? And then we need to have the courage when he tells us what those are to put it out with the trash. That's tough. That's tough. Take the world, give me Jesus. Here you have Paul at this point when he's writing, he's been in this, it's funny because you'd say ministry. He has been through the ringer for Jesus Christ for 20 years at this point. He has been through some things, he has seen some things. He's what we would consider seasoned and mature, but he stops to take count. Every once in a while, I will get out my old baseball card albums. And I love looking at him. Cal Ripken. Remember when I was younger thinking, will Cal Ripken break that streak of 2,131 consecutive games? I have just albums of Cal Ripken. To me, he was just this like gold standard. He ended up playing 2,632 consecutive games, just in case you were wondering. But I will look at these cards, and then I'll put them back, but I'll count how many rookies I have. I'll count how many things that I have. 
This is almost how Paul would do. Every once in a while, just taking things out and looking back over where Christ has brought you. And it doesn't get old because there's joy in it. It's as if he said, I know. Like to me, I know Cal Ripken. He is the greatest shortstop. Don't tell Jeter that he was the greatest shortstop. But it's almost like you're saying to yourself, Jesus, I know you're the best. I just want to look over it again. Someone here needs to follow Paul's example. You need to rewind the tape. You need to revisit the walk. You need to count the testimonies. You need to remind your heart of what he has done. You need to say, even though it's hard, I'm going to put this in the rubbish pile because I love Paul's wording. I want to win Christ. I want to win Christ. That wording, I want to attain him. I want to have more of him. That I might gain or win Christ. Again, I'm just picturing Bethany not even blinking as she is playing ping pong with me. It was scary to me. Obviously traumatized here a quarter century later. Play to win. Play to win. And he goes on to say, and to be found in him. When you look at the wording, I love how personal this letter is to the Philippians. Because Paul, in his zeal, would hunt down people who followed Christ before he knew the truth of Christ. He was ruthless. That same wording of chasing people down and not letting up, it says that is the same wording here, to be found in him. In other words, for Jesus to find me. You need to understand that you're not alone on your chase for Jesus. Jesus is on a chase for you as well. You need to understand that he's looking after getting you as passionately as your chase could ever be. That's what he's doing. He says, not having my own righteousness. I do not have a means to justify myself. As good of a person as I attempt to be, I cannot justify myself. Only Jesus Christ justifies. In myself, the best I can have is self-righteousness. And all self-righteousness is in the end is rubbish. I don't care if it's four cans full. It's still rubbish. At best, I have good intentions. At best, I have a human plan. At best, I have rules. I have the law that I can live up to. But faith in Jesus helps me to get there. It's about there. It's about getting to that God standard, going beyond just a mundane walk, getting to a God standard. Just as when you ask Jesus to come in your heart, there's an expectation that you would lay down all unrighteousness. As you walk with him, there's an expectation that you will lay down self-righteousness as well as you go along on this walk. Because what Jesus has done is greater than anything that I could do. Paul says those words, that I may know him. God, I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. God, on the greatest the greatest testimonies that I have about you, I want to know you more. I know that heaven is indescribably wonderful, but I don't want to wait until I get there to experience all that I can of you. I don't want to wait. I want to see it now. I want to know so much more about you. So that someone was to come up and say, your God does not exist, that I could give them 7,000 reasons why he does without saying a word. 
That's what this walk is about, knowing him. We can say we know someone. You can say that you know someone because you're able to distinguish who they are from someone else. Had people walk up to me at the mall. Hey, aren't you that pastor? They kind of recognize me. I always say, why, are you mad? Because if they say yes, I'm like, no, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I've never seen you before. You can say you know someone because you're acquainted with what they do, right? Freddie and Joe Sliman, I'm acquainted with them because they make the greatest corned beef on the face of this planet. I'm acquainted. We can say that we know someone because we've had a conversation with them or we've been on speaking terms. We can say we know someone because we spend time in their house or with their family. We can say we know someone because we've committed our life to them. We're in it through thick and thin like a marriage. But beyond all of that, there is a way of knowing Jesus Christ that goes so much farther with the God standard. It's not just those things of, I think I recognize him. Oh, wait, I think I know his voice. It goes to a place where not only am I all in, but there's no looking back. That is knowing Jesus. And in that place, there is power. Near my house, there are power lines. And these power lines, when you are near them, you can tell they're nothing to mess with. You can hear what's going on. I don't even want to get too close because they're made out of metal. And I don't understand how all that works, but I just don't even want to be close to these things. But I know without a doubt that there's power. The same way there is power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is nothing to mess around with. It is nothing to take lightly. There is power in this gospel. The strength of this gospel, the ability of this gospel, the power to break chains that is in this gospel, the power to keep those chains on the ground that is in this gospel, the power that says there is no darkness that it cannot cut through. There is now power. There is not just then power, but now power. To be honest with you, I'm kind of getting tired of this kind of walk that says just learn a lot of facts about Jesus and keep your mouth shut. See, I'm not trying out for a Bible trivia team. What I'm doing is putting the word of God in my heart because it's alive. What I'm doing is saying I want to live according to his word. As hard as it may be sometimes, I want to live that, and I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. If any of you have ever had a child in the car, you know, like, you start out, you know, with parents, hey, let's play the quiet game. And after a while, like, stop talking. You know they won't. I feel like the enemy's saying to me, and I'm like, nope, nope, that's where I want to stay. This is about redemption. The Bible says in Psalm 107, 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There is power in Jesus Christ, power that produces fruit, not just in my heart, but in the places that God will take us. It's not just about in here, it's about out there. It's this power that gives us passion to spread this gospel. If we truly believe what we say we believe, then we should be passionate about letting other people know. If we believe that this world is lost and dying, then we need to find ways that will humble us to take us to the broken ones that God wants us to take this gospel to. Both in season and out of season.
let me paraphrase that in my wording. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it. When it's your day or not so much your day. Be ready because that's when God's going to send them. If you're thinking that God's going to send someone who's going to be easy to minister to, <laughs> ask Paul about that. Ask Paul about the jailer that the entire family got saved. Ask Paul what he had to go through to deliver that testimony. There are going to be times that God's going to require you to be humble enough to reach out to someone who the world would consider untouchable. Will you do it? To walk in boldness to tell them who this Jesus is, not to paint a picture of all the things Jesus can do, but of who he is. And it will enable you to walk in that power. Again, with those power lines, you know what I'm thinking about those? That very young man that was my neighbor that got saved at this altar, not long after that, he wanted to impress a girl. So we were near these power lines. He had this idea he was going to climb this thing. And I just remember thinking, you are really about to meet Jesus. Was able to talk him out of that because, good Lord, I don't know what was in his head. But they commanded respect. What I would say going into this new year is, give God the respect that he deserves. Understand that it is nothing to toy with. In closing, here's my heart cry. Here's my prayer for this church. Give us Jesus. Give me Jesus. Don't give me that popular Jesus that the crowd would get around. Give me that Jesus that would shake things up and people wouldn't understand what was going on. Give me that Jesus who actually would leave 99 to go after the one. When he was on his way to do big ministry things, when the big ministry thing happened, let me be with that Jesus. That's who I want to be with because that's how I want my walk to look. Let me understand that I will be with him when the sun shines or when the storms blow. With the same amen and the same hallelujah. And it may come out as a shout or it may come out with tears, but let me give that praise. Whether I be on the highest mountaintop or the lowest valley, give me Jesus, let me be there. If it's in hallelujah, if it's in heartbreak, give me Jesus. When as a pastor, when I stand on this stage and I dedicate a newborn baby to Jesus, or when I'm standing on the floor and I'm giving a eulogy for a saint that has passed on. Let me have the same passion and know that that same Jesus is present in both places. And like Paul, let me this year take the count. Let me this week take the count. Not because I need something from him, but because my worship goes to a different place. Let me count the ways that he has been there for me. And let me understand that my standard is not the God standard all the time. Relative to eternity, I believe that every single person here has a victory song. And I believe that some of you, that your song has been silenced for a while. I haven't been in the places that so many of you have been. But what I can say is this, that it's time to find your song again. 
I don't say it in a way like a drill instructor kicking the end of your bed. Like I'm looking at you like you're pathetic. I'm looking at you like someone who has also needed to find my song at times. If you stand, we're going to pray. Sam, come on down too. If you bow your heads. Father, right now, I pray your hand upon this family. And Father, I pray that you will remind us who you are in this moment. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we count the ways that you have been there, that you will remind us and show up in even greater ways. It is a privilege to walk with you. I thank you and praise you. Amen.